0: Father, thank you for this day and for your love and mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Father, that you raise us up and teach us to walk in the victory that you have paid such a precious price to get to us, the victory which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for teaching us that we do have the mind of Christ, the power of Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead dwelleth inside of us and gives life to these mortal bodies. Help us to walk in greater victory, Lord, knowing and learning, expanding our knowledge of you and of the the grace of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, if you would, turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua, way back in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 6 and then also 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 so if you want to I'm going to read first out of Joshua chapter 6 and then 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 and there will be a few others scattered in there but that will be the crux of the of the heart of the matter God God wants to help us, help us to know Him better, to know how to maneuver, as it were, through this life, which is quite difficult, isn't it? This life can be very difficult. And God has arranged for us to have power and authority over everything that would come against us in this life. And some of it is a little more less defined than others some of it is very close to us as we're going to see today but god is going to provide us with the power to overcome every obstacle and he wants to help us with that today you know i i remember growing up sometimes kids have a have a problem remembering when they start to drive that because uh, they usually don't start out with a brand new car at least we didn't you know <laughs> but They have problems sometimes remembering that there's a couple of key ingredients, a couple of things that car always has to have. can't go even a few miles without it, which is one is oil and one is gas. I mean, one is oil and one is water. Okay, of course gas is the third one, but you can fix that if you run out, right? The water and the oil are very important, and... The prayer is that never the two shall meet. <laughs> if you ever had a cracked block, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, uh, some kids just don't, don't get that. They, they just get preoccupied and they don't, they don't protect that engine. They don't maintain that engine. They don't provide maintenance with it. They don't prepare for the things that are, are going to come. And because of it, they suffer later on when they're walking (laughs) others like uh, I'm sure my son-in-law Garrett here he he has a great dad who taught him really well about cars and everything and I I, I haven't asked Garrett in advance but I would venture a guess and say he's probably never ever ran a car out of oil or water just because he was so trained and, and, and properly instructed in that you see what I'm saying So anyway, I don't know why that analogy came to me this morning, but it's kind of like that with the Christian life. God wants to prepare us and teach us so that we don't have the problems that most of us do and all of the world does. Because He loves us and He wants to empower us. Amen? Read with me, or I'm going to read along, starting in Joshua, the sixth chapter, at the beginning. And today, I just happened to... uh, I like the uh, translation from the New American Standard Bible, so I'm going to be reading from that, but yours should be able to you should be able to read along quite clearly now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. no one went out and no one came in. Jericho was a city that had really high walls around it it was a fortress or stronghold, you would call it back in the day, and they had shut themselves up because they heard about God's people were coming, and they knew that God was with these people, and what He had done to those who had opposed them before, who were in, stood in their way. The enemies of God's people had been destroyed, and so these were tightly closed in this stronghold of Jericho. And they weren't letting anybody in. And nobody was going out. <laughs> but the Lord told Joshua. He said, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, they had not attacked Jericho. They had not even come near it quite yet. But God has said, I have given it into your hand. In other words, in the spiritual realm, it's done deal. It's yours. With its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city. This is an interesting instruction about Jericho. You shall march around the city. All the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. So for each day, for six days, they just marched around it one time. (laughs) Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. So they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. There were seven priests blowing trumpets... ...marching with them. Then on the seventh day... ...you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn... ...and when you hear the sound of the trumpet... ...all the people shall shout with a great shout... ...and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So his instruction was for them to march around one time with these with the ark and with these priests blowing the trumpets. Nobody else saying anything once once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day do the same thing only seven times. And then there would be a loud trumpet blast and a shout and the walls would come tumbling down. Now let's jump down to save time to the 12th verse. It says, Now Joshua rose early in the morning and took the priests and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Then on the seventh day they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city... Oh, In the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. Now, jump down to the 20th verse. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city. Praise God. Skip down now to the 26th verse, and we'll be done with the reading. After they had taken the city and... There were some few other instructions. I'm just leaving that out because it's not part of the teaching today. But finally, when it was all said and done, Joshua made the people take an oath saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. Don't rebuild it. Anyone who rebuilds what God has torn down here is going to be cursed. Okay. So there's lots of spiritual truths found in the story of Jericho. I would like to skip to 2 Corinthians and the New Covenant now, chapter 10, the other one I told you about. Because you don't need to go back to Joshua. You can turn over to 2 Corinthians 10 now. We're going to elaborate a little bit about this tearing down of this fortress or this stronghold, as it were, of Jericho. And the Old Testament, like we were just reading from, everything is about Jesus. Do you know that? But you don't see it in, uh, in that form. It's all concealed in types and shadows. It all points to what will come, what Jesus, what God will bring to pass through the Christ, through Jesus. The new covenant is the Old Covenant revealed. Because Jesus has now come and He has given it life and He has made everything evident that was talked about in types and shadows in the Old Covenant He has made real through His coming. So now here we are in the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians 10. And now, strongholds... Strongholds is is a word found... Once in the New Testament. It's a metaphor used by the Apostle Paul to describe Christians' spiritual battle. Okay? Though, it, and the, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at the... It's the third and fourth verse I want to read. Though we walk in the flesh, we... Talking about we Christians, we ministers, we do not war according to the flesh... For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. Our battle plans and our strategies are not like the world's as Christians because we are not of this world. We are in it. But we're not of it anymore. Our home is in heaven. And we are now ambassadors here for Christ. To help others to come to the knowledge of God. And for us to grow in it. Our weapons aren't physical. Our warfare is spiritual in nature. Rather than fists and guns and knives. Like the old days. (laughs) Or on a higher level level, like on a national or world level, or tanks or or weapons of mass destruction. No, our weapons are those of the full armor of God, which is described in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Only offensive weapon, the sword, which is the word of God. Our power comes from God alone. And his plan, when we allow him to use us, is to demolish spiritual strongholds. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So, what are these strongholds, these fortresses, these fortifications that we face? Let's keep reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We read the third and fourth verse. Now, let's keep reading at the fifth verse. Paul interprets the metaphor that we're talking about here about strongholds. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, listen, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the arguments are the philosophies, the reasonings. And the schemes of the world. The pretensions which have to do with anything proud or high-minded, self-centered, or self-confident. Here's a story. An explanation, a picture, if you will, that I, I like. The Christian wearing his spiritual armor, okay, from Ephesians chapter 6. He's, he's outfitted with the full armor of God, and he's, he's bearing his spiritual weapons. He sets out to conquer the world for Christ, but he soon finds out that there are obstacles in the world, <laughs> lots of them, some with that, some without and some within himself. The enemy, the devil, has erected strongly fortified garrisons or strongholds to resist the truth of God's word and to thwart God's plan of salvation and redemption. There is the fortress of human reasoning which opposes God's truth, reinforced with many subtle little arguments under the pretense of logic. There's the castle of passion, the flaming battlements defended by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, pleasure, greed, all these things that try to hinder us. And at the very pinnacle, as a matter of fact, of this bastion is, the, is pride at the very top of the stronghold. And there's so many layers of pride. It's like an onion. We just keep peeling more and more layers off, unfortunately. But in this pinnacle of pride, the human heart sits enthroned and revels in thoughts of its own excellence and (laughs) self-sufficiency. Foolishly, I should say. The enemy, the devil, is firmly entrenched. And these strongholds have been guarded many times for years and years and years. This wrong thinking which has set itself up against the knowledge and the truth of God. And it presents a great wall of resistance to the truth. But none of this should deter the Christian warrior. He or she will use all of the weapons of God's choosing laid out in Ephesians chapter 6. This armor of God and the sword of the Spirit. He attacks these strongholds and by the miraculous power of Jesus Christ the walls are breached and the bastions of sin and error and pride are battered down. The victorious Christian then can enter the ruins and take captive, as it were, every false theory and every human philosophy that has once proudly asserted itself against the knowledge of God. If this sounds a lot like Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, you're right. Because this is an illustration of that spiritual truth. That story from Joshua. Sharing the gospel. Is not the only time. We see resistance. We can also face demonic strongholds in our own lives. And most of us do. At different levels and degrees and. And also in our families. <laughs> we can, and also. And also. Even in our churches. Anyone who has ever fought an addiction of any kind. Anyone who's ever struggled with pride. Anyone who's ever struggled with lust or greed or a lack of faith. Or a worldly outlook. Just, just living in and for the world. These are all strongholds. The Lord is building His church. And in Matthew sixteen eighteen tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What God needs in these last days are Christian soldiers totally surrendered to the will of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. We need Christians. God needs Christians who will use the spiritual weapons he has provided. And listen, just like any soldier who is handed over a you know they don't just hand over all a bunch of a pile of weapons to you the first day you enlist. <laughs> you have to be instructed. You have to be taught and raised up. You're not going to be left alone, and the same way it is for the Christian. We God is not ever going to leave you alone. He's here to provide the instruction that you need and the teaching that'll make you strong, and you will recognize the difference between His truth and His love and a lie. Or a temptation of the enemy who's trying to deceive you and hurt you. But if God before you, what can man do to you? If God before you, there's no demon in hell that can hurt you if you just put your trust in God and surrender to Him and just say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength. I, I'm... Giving it all to you because I trust you, because you're faithful, because you're good, because I know that you love me, because I know that in your word it says it's not within man to direct his own steps. And I just have to agree with you (laughs) because all of us who try, we just mess it up, Lord. So we're just going to turn back to you. psalm 20 verse 7 says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god it's so much better to trust in god back in second corinthians 10 where we've been reading from paul was urging he was warning the corinthian church to humble themselves and to receive his instructions so that he wouldn't have to be hard on them when he visited and And and, in the flesh. He wanted a joyful and a peaceful visit with the Corinthians. And so he was taking care of some problems with his letters that they had in the church. They had actually sent him a a list of questions and concerns and things they were arguing, bickering about. And he was just setting some things straight. Hoping they would all just repent and and agree with God. And then when he came, they could just enjoy each other, you know. (laughs) Which is what we all want. Paul, the truth be known, I mean, he wrote almost half of the first of the, the new covenant. He he was probably just an average guy based on the word and the way some people were talking about him. He was probably just a regular guy in the flesh. So those who judge him after the flesh, they really were underestimating him, though. He may not have been anything special to look at. Or a smooth talker. Or polished by the standards of his day. But he was anointed by God. To do the work that God had called him to do. His power and authority came. From the spirit of God. And not from his flesh. And like Paul. Our weapons are not carnal. Christians. Have to. Transition from. The ways of the world. (laughs) To the ways of God. And we have to learn. That it's a kingdom of opposites. We have to learn to walk in love and forgiveness. And just trust God to handle all the details. What does the word carnal mean? Because the weapons of uh, the Christian are not carnal is what I said. So what does this mean? The Greek word here for carnal is sarkikos. It means to be governed by the flesh... ...and human strength... ...as opposed to being governed by God's Spirit. You see? One of the main weapons that Paul was speaking about... ...is the Gospel. The sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. It's the Word backed by God's Spirit... ...that can pull down and crush the strongholds of Satan. Every Christian is at war. You see? Whether we like it or not... ...whether we admit it or not... ...as long as we're here... ...we're, we're in a struggle. We're in a war... There's a perpetual fight going on against Satan and his kingdom from which there, as a soldier of Christ, just continuing on with that analogy, in this war there are no leaves or discharges. You're just in it till you win it. The enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so it says in 1 Peter 5, eight: Those who resist the devil, though... There's a promise from God in James 4, 7. Those who resist the devil will see him flee. This is one of God's promises. The only one the devil is ever able to devour are those who don't actively fight against him. He loves a passive Christian. Or one who's just uninformed of the power and authority that they have and of the God who loves them and will protect them If they will agree with him. The kingdom of heaven is under attack though. And only those who become really militant. In their resolve will enjoy the spoils that are ours in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says that the weapons are for the casting down of two things. Imaginations. And every high thing. That exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Both of, both of these things deal with our minds. Did you see that? That's why I was saying that this war is, is different than anything you can think of here on earth. While some of, the, some of the battles and some of the enemies are without. Many of them are from within. He says against imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, our battle against the devil mostly takes place right between our ears. And the sooner we understand this, the sooner we know how to fight against it, you see. Like I said, God wants to empower us, He's not going to leave us helpless. The Greek word again here used for imaginations is logismos. And it's described here as a reasoning that is hostile to Christ and his word. It's translated in other versions by phrases like every proud argument against God in the living Bible. Today's English version says every proud obstacle. The NIV says arguments against God. And another one says every deceptive fantasy that aligns itself against the truth of God's Word. And another one says speculations. These high things include anything that opposes the knowledge about God and Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. The mind. The mind is a battlefield. The thoughts and reasoning in our minds that are contrary to God's word we are empowered and instructed to capture those thoughts and make them submit to Christ our commander just as enemy soldiers are captured in war so rebel thoughts in our minds are supposed to be taken captive by us and made to submit to Christ and his word when when something pops in our mind and it's foolish and and the more we learn about God's word and about his love and his provision and who he really is in truth and not a God of our imagination who's just fine and dandy with everything, but the real God of the Bible, when we learn what he has said and then something pops in our mind that's counter to that, we go, no, I reject that thought. That's a lie, devil. And the more you practice this, the better you'll get at it. And once the enemy realizes that you are no one to be messed with anymore, he'll stop messing with you so much. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. The only way we can overcome his lies is by learning the truth. And we have to exalt or magnify or hold more dear or more important the truth of God's Word than anything we see or hear or think. If it doesn't line up with this, then we should just reject it. We should just reject it. The mind is the battlefield. Really, this is an amazing thing that we're talking about because Paul was saying that it's not only possible to take every thought captive, but That our spiritual weapons were designed for that very purpose. (laughs) The purpose of taking every thought captive and making them obedient to Christ. Isn't that what it says? Keeping our minds completely stayed upon the Lord is not not something that's far-fetched. It's actually an attainable goal. And in Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord says, here is another promise for us. I, he says, God says, I will keep... You in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. How beautiful can that be? It's like when we connect our mind to to the, the wonderful things of God and we just start thinking on Him. It's like it's like He just comes and He just protects that chain of, of thought. It's like, hey, 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 y'all, y'all stand down. Hit my baby thinking about me right now. My baby's talking to me right now. You will not, you will not interrupt her peace. She's with me. He's with me. Isn't that awesome? Isaiah 26:3. It's a promise from God. I'm just foolish enough to believe that if God said it, that settles it. I'm going to put my trust in Him. Shoot, I tried it too long my way. I failed miserably. <laughs> I would not be here today if, I, if he had not spared my life on more times than I can count definite times that I know of on more than I can count on these two hands. Now, think of all the times I wasn't aware of. How good is he? How awesome is he? To love us so much. Because He's got great things for us. Great plans for us. He cares more about us than what we can do for Him. But if He has it His way, He'll empower and strengthen us and build us up in our confidence of who we are and who He is in us and how much He loves us so that we're so confident in our relationship with our Father that then He can use us to to share that and turn our mess into a message so we can help other people to do the same. That's what He wants. And that's what He needs. Just a few who will really just surrender to Him and just say, I, I, want, that. I, I, I want that. I want that. I want you to strengthen me. Because Father, frankly, I, I've messed things up a little. And, and I need you to, to get me past some of this. I, I need you to, to straighten out my mind And and restore my confidence that I know that you're for me and that you're with me and that you love me and that you forgive me so that I can be strong and help others to become strong. Oh, he loves an honest, heartfelt prayer like that. Can I just tell you that? We just need to believe what God says. He wants revival in the, in the church more than we do. He's not; We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. But the church and Christian values in this world are under attack like never before in our history. I mean, we can see that, right? And the solution really begins here in the pulpit. And then in our homes, and in our hearts, and in our workplace, and in our families, and in our schools. We have to begin to take all these areas back for God. And he needs, he needs some people who are willing to help. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father when he was finished. And he gave all his authority and power to us, his, his body, his pride, the church. We have to get back to the place where God is first and foremost in our lives. And and not, like I said, not a God of our imagination, but we have to let this word read us and disagree with it. We have to become disciples, learners, students of his word. Renewing our minds according to the word of God and submitting ourselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Not to earn relationship with Him. Because He's given that to us freely. Just by accepting Him. But because of the relationship we are privileged to already have with Him, we should, out of gratitude, work out these things with fear and trembling. He loves us and He needs us to accurately represent Him to the world. The Lord has said to me, Son, the church, the body of Christ as a whole is is at a crossroads. Jude, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, Jude chapter 1, it's only one chapter, verse 17 says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last times, there will be mockers following their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. In First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 2 Timothy 3.1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days for the time will come when people will not put up with sound teaching, sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Second Peter 2.10 This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on God's beings. Second Peter 3 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And then Jude once again in verse 4 says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in amongst you. They are god ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. We have to decide to find our spiritual identity in Christ alone. This is where we find our God given purpose and our life, our peace. It doesn't just happen on its own. You have to do this life on purpose. And the world is against you t- trying to do it. So that's why we're learning how God wants to empower us not to be moved by the things that come against us. Whether from external things or internal things. We, he's provided the power and ability and the knowledge to deal with all of it. We're stronger than we think. Because He's with us and He's for us. We've been given everything we need for this life. All the provision of heaven and the very character of Christ himself dwells inside of us who belong to him. As New Testament believers, we can walk in victory in every area of our lives. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for teaching us these things today and helping us to grow in them. Let not the enemy come and steal your words from our hearts and minds, but help us to be empowered by them and to allow them to grow up and to bear fruit in our lives. That first of all, we might be strengthened and comforted in your love and in our relationship with you. And then that we may help others to do the same which is your desire, that none should perish. Thank you, Father, for loving us and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen.